Welcome to the podcast of RUF at Boston University. And at the end of 
chapter three, at the end, I'm sorry, chapter four, it says that the people believe Moses and they bow their heads in worship. They breathe this great sigh of relief that finally God heard the cries. Finally, God is sending the deliverer to lift us out of this oppression. Moses was fearful. He was a stammering guy, right? Uh, he was nervous. He had a lot of questions for God. In our passage tonight, we start off with a bang for Moses, right? He just starts out, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Can you imagine? He's showing up to this kingdom where he was a fugitive. He was an exile from. He was wanted for murder. And he shows up to the king and he says, Thus says the Lord. Let my Pharaoh replied, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Remember, Moses had just met the Lord, the living God, the angel of God, appeared to them in the burning bush. And when he told Israel, they believed him. He said, Okay, yes, this is God. This is the first time it's come across opposition. Someone who did not believe him. Did not know. He probably knew that the people of Israel had a God. Um, he certainly didn't respect that. Right? So he's saying, "Who is this? Like, who does he think he is?" This is what he's saying to God. Um, Pharaoh doesn't know that. He doesn't respect him or acknowledge his authority. Instead of heeding the warning of Moses about God bringing pestilence and the sword. What does the king of Egypt do? He doubles down on the Israelite profession. So you know what? Um, I actually think there's so many of you guys, we could actually exploit this. We could capitalize on how many of the Hebrew people there were in the Egyptian land, and we can make them work harder. Here's, here's a little bit greedy. In those days, people made bricks. That was one of the jobs of the, of the Israelites, was to build, they actually built cities. With us, and they built these cities out of bricks. And they were built from mud with straw. I don't there are a lot of construction projects that go on around the EU. Maybe you're interested in that kind of thing. I said architecture is both kind of interesting to me. But have you ever noticed that inside concrete, there's often like metal mesh or metal rebar. And it stiffens something. Concrete's hard, uh, metal. Something goes terribly wrong. 
right? Um, maybe you're trying to date the way God wants us to date, and the first Christian you date is a huge total loser. <laughs> do you give up? Do you say, okay, well, guess, guess God doesn't want me to date Christians. Um, maybe you, you're addicted to porn and you obey God and you try to quit porn. You say, I'm going to go, I'm going to try to go to And then you fail miserably. You give up. Maybe you have a person in your life that you've lied to your entire relationship. And maybe you say, you know what? God's helping you tell the truth. I'm going to tell the truth to this person. And their response is cruel, it's harsh. Maybe even risks the relationship. Does that mean you stop telling the truth? When we decide to obey God, when we muster up the faith and courage to take that step, we will experience opposition. It might be internal. It might be external, it might be environmental, whatever it is, there will always be things that will make it harder. We need to not be naive as Christians. I think Christians are often stereotyped as pretty naive, right? We, 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 we kind of have these crazy ideas about resurrection and heaven and like, Wow, we're always trying to be so nice to everyone, right? <laughs> we're called to be wiser than serpents and as innocent as doves. To obey God means we will encounter opposition. And things may be very difficult because we obey the Lord. The problem is not your obedience. The problem is, that, is not that you've got the command wrong. The problem is, you stick out like a sore thumb in a world that is full of people. And the prince of this world wants to crush this. There is opposition when we try to obey. Uh, Jesus sent out his disciples, they warned them that they will face people who reject them, reject their message, and sure enough, uh, I believe every single one of the disciples were later killed for spreading the gospel. Opposition doesn't mean you've made the wrong choice, necessarily. Quite the opposite, it likely means you've made the right one. Alright, the first word, opposition. Complaints. So these formats. Uh, these Israelite foremen, they were in charge. Can you imagine being in that job? If you're in charge of your fellow like brothers and sisters, the Hebrew people, and you're making sure they get their work done, you're not their boss. You're essentially this kind of sub slave master. It's kind of been an awful, awful place to be. The foremen are trying to enforce this rule. Okay, you've got to make bricks without straw. And the Hebrew slaves are struggling to meet their quotas, understandably. Right? How in the world are they going to do you know, twice the workload and still meet the same amount of bricks that they're making in the first place? So these four men are like, okay, let's do what's in our power. Let's go to Pharaoh and let's complain to him. Let's say, it's your fault. You, know, you took away our straw. That's why we're not meeting our quotas. And Pharaoh's response is to complain to them because you're lazy, you're idle. Uh, 
good translation is you're lazy. He says, you're lazy, you're lazy. You just want to go have this festival out in the desert. You just want to go party and rest from your work. You know, Moses, that guy, he came along and made your life really hard, didn't he, by telling me that that's what you wanted to do. Now I know you're lazy. The door. It was a hard enough, right? So what did the foreman do? The foreman then go to Moses and say, Moses, this is your fault. You're the one who went to Pharaoh and you caused this. You, you made us a stench to the Egyptians. You caused this. What have you done? The Lord should judge you, Moses, for this. And then the third complaint is Moses complains to the Lord. He says to God, why have you done this evil to this people? Why did you ever sin? The profound questions. What's going on here? This is like everything is spiraling out of control. And we're right at the beginning of this big rescue plan. What's going on here? Let me highlight these two things. Uh, first, let's talk about idolatry. That might seem Idolatry is when we worship something, it might be a good thing that God created, but we make it like uh, money, sex, success. When we find that these things stop making us happy, when we go to them again, when we realize, you know, there's something, it, it worked the first time when I made that awesome grade, when I got that awesome job when I met that awesome partner when I, you know, made bank on Robinhood, my crypto. Um, <laughs> it felt so good the first time, but now it's made my life complicated. You go back to it. You say, what more can you do? And that idol doubles down. It demands more. It puts it back on you. It says, if you're addicted to success, if you're an idol worshiper, it's excessive, work harder, work faster, try more, do more, doubles down on you. If it's sex, it's like, well, find a new partner, find a new fantasy. Maybe it's the next thing, maybe it's, if, it's, um, if it's money, it's just the next dollar, it's the next hundred, it's the next thousand. It's always more. One of the signs that you are worshiping something uh, that is not God is when it doubles down on you. Puts it back in your face and says, do more, try more. An idol will never live up to its promises and always asks more of you. Friends, God lives up to his promises. And he asks you to trust follow the belief you have. The other thing that I want to highlight is everyone is passing the buck. Everyone is passing the buck. The foremen are passing it to Pharaoh. Pharaoh puts it back on the people and he kind of indirectly puts it on Moses. Then the foremen go to Moses and Moses goes to God. Right? So the buck stops. This is an absolute mess. Does it all really come back to God? Is God the source of this? I think sometimes 
in life we come to a point where we start to begin to question. Maybe he's the blame. I want you to also note, isn't it ironic that Moses is blamed? You know, how many weeks, I don't know how many, the amount of time that has passed, but just maybe days earlier, they had worshipped God in front of Moses because he had shown them that he was going to deliver them. And then they come to the deliverer and say, Look what you've done. God be the judge of you. Does that sound familiar? Jesus. <laughs> he came down to earth. The great rescue plan of God. He came down to earth. We already talked about the opposition that the disciples faced. Boy, did he face opposition. Boy, did he face people complaining. And he was blamed for blasphemy being a rebellious king of the Jews, he was the rescuer himself. He was the one who came to come down uh, to rescue us from sin and death. In Colossians, and I think you guys in your Bible studies on Wednesday and Friday are about to study this exact verse. In Colossians it says that Jesus is the perfect image of the invisible the problem of evil is one that you will probably face in your life. Is God evil? Did he do this? When you're faced with the problem of evil, why does this happen? Why is this happening in the world? We need to go to Jesus. We need to go to the cross. He came down to take on death and sin on his shoulders. He is the one who is fulfilling the covenant promise that God made. He knows exactly why he called you his child. And he is the reconciled. The last word, promise. Finally, we hear from God again. And God, he, he has some opposition of his own to square away first. And this ties in with this problem of evil. It's questioning because it's God on target this time. He says, now you shall see what I will do. Right? The question that he has been asked was, why God have you done this great evil? Why did you send me? Moses asked him that. And this is his response. Now you shall see what I will do. Today. He puts proper blame and responsibility where it should be. Right? In this story, we're not told of um, the, the, the oppression that Israel is facing and the enslavement as being a direct result of any sin. But it's the sin of Egypt, clearly. The sin of, of, of the Egyptian king, rather. The Egyptian people, right? It was their sin that caused this oppression. And God says, I see what's going on, and I will judge their sin. He puts blame where it should be. Now Pharaoh was opposing Yahweh, um, not just the king over the Hebrews, but the king over all, the God over all, the name above all names. And God is saying, hey, I'm honest. This is not a surprise to me. 
Um, God, God basically got a plan for condemning their sin. Um, and then after he does this, he, he reiterates his promise. And he, he essentially says to Moses, you know, it's so funny, it, you know, in his response to Moses' question, like, why did you ever sin? Why did you ever do this mess? He, he doesn't go to, you know, well, Moses, I really like you. You're a good guy. Remember your resume? Remember how he made you? He doesn't put the focus on Moses. He puts it on himself. He said, remember who I am. I'm the God who gave Abraham a Isaac and Jacob. I gave Abraham a son in his old age. I protected Isaac. I protected Jacob. I have done all of this. And this is what I will continue to do through you. See, it's not about you, he said to Moses. It's about what I have promised to do through you and with you for my glory. He says that he's heard the cries of people, of the people. He knows exactly what he's doing. This is the beginning of his plan, but it's not going to be easy or quick. Friends, I think one lie that we have believed that once you turn to obedience, once you turn to faith in Christ, it's going to be easy. Once I decide to give up that sin, it's just going to be easy. Once I decide to do the right thing, it's going to be quick. God doesn't say that. He doesn't exactly say how long it's going to take. Friend, we're going to see that there are Ten times that Moses has to go to Egypt and say this to Pharaoh, let my people go. It's going to take ten times, ten plagues, before finally they're snatched out. But I think this story should give us a little bit of context for our own life. You are a work in progress. It's going to take time. Don't give up. Keep clinging to his promise. What do we have to look forward to? One, our holiness. God is working on each one of us, making us holy, just like himself. It's a long time. Got a long way to go. The other thing is that God is coming back. He's going to rescue us finally and fully from this evil age. And he is going to bring judgment on the oppressors, and he is going to bring it into his presence forever. We walk in that response. We trust him, and we're simply asked to trust, to rest, to live in that promise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word that challenges us, that gives us a perspective that shows us, most importantly, the beauty, the goodness of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that uh, you sent them to earth to be the rescue plan for us. Lord, we pray that you deepen our faith. Help us to walk in faith. Pray